Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 16, please. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus. We thank you. We thank you that we are called by your name, that we're here under your word, and we look to you, Father, to have mercy upon us, to help us to see and to know your ways. Help us to understand you. We might walk with you. Grant us grace, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to say that most of us would want to experience God in our lives. Correct? We, wouldn't it be, we want to experience God. Like if I could say to you, would you be interested in experiencing God in your life? Sure, that'd be great. You could probably ask uh, an atheist that. Hey, how would you like to experience God right now? They might be interested. And you know why? Because a lot of times they ask, if there's a God, show him to me. Well, if I said, yeah, okay, here it goes. You want to experience him? You want to know this God? You want to, you want to see him show up? Well, then this is what you need to do. And they perhaps might be interested because it seems in a lot of ways that most of us in a lot of times want to see and to know God. We want to experience God. Have you ever felt in your life that God is like far away and distant? And so many times we're dealing with the invisible God, right? The invi- we're used to seeing and touching and experiencing people on a very physical level. We're used to, we're used to relationships that are very face-to-face. That's how, well, in today's age, we're kind of used to getting used to the computer. So no, not, not so much face-to-face, but uh, maybe FaceTime or, you know, some Facebook or something like that. But the thing is, we, we want God to show up so often. We want to see him. We want to know him. We want to experience him. And it can often feel, I don't know about you, but it can often feel like, God, why are you so cold? Why are you so distant? Why are you so far away? Why do you seem so quiet? Why do you seem like, it seem like I'm just talking to the ceiling at times? It can feel like that. Even the psalmist would go through seasons of his life where God just seemed miles away. Where, where are you, O oh God? And yet the psalmist, even at that moment, doesn't understand that God's upholding him. And with them there. But yet, it can, the experience of God being far away is a very real experience. And part of ex- us experiencing God, part of us coming to experience Him on a day-to-day basis, is understanding the way God works in the world around us. Being able to see where it is He's at work. To have eyes that see Him. Eyes that know that is God. God is at work. And last week we looked at, at how it was that God revealed his work to us. And we only really got to the beginning of it. Because we looked at why we need to look for where God is at work, what God reveals, uh, revealed and what he has not revealed to us. And we also looked at the fact that when God does reveal what he is doing, it's plain and it's clear. And so we established some foundational facts about, the, about God being at work in our lives and the world around us and how it is that we know that. This week we're going to expand on the topic and try to understand with more clarity how it is that God reveals where it is he's at work. 
And to begin with, we're going we're to look at how God reveals his work by opening and closing doors. You've all heard that expression, I'm sure. If you've been in the church for a while, you've heard the expression of opening and closing doors. Well, turn to, and if you're in Acts 16, we're going to see some of the ways in which God works in opening and closing doors. In Acts 16, we're going to start at verse 6. And this was read for us this morning. And sorry, Keith, for all the names. <laughs> but it's a great text in terms of understanding and seeing God at work. At verse 6, he says, And then they, this is Paul and Timothy, by the way, they went through the region of, of uh, Phrygia and Galatia. Now, you notice this next statement. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they're heading off. They've been called to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. God revealed that to them. The Spirit set them apart set Paul and Barnabas apart and said, go, and you're to go to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So he's off going. And as he's going, the Spirit closes a door, so to speak, closes it off to him, forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, what we don't know about this, we don't know if the Spirit spoke to him. We don't know if, it was, if the Spirit made it very clear in his spirit. The Spirit spoke to his spirit and made it like there's just, we're not supposed to go. We're not exactly sure on the details. But one thing is certain, he knows, okay, the Spirit has clearly told him he's not to go. He's forbidden him to go. And if you look at the next verse, and, then they came, had got, uh, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go, in Bithynia, to go into Bithynia, and now what does it say? But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Once again, a closed door. They're walking, and clearly the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, we don't know exactly the details of how that worked, but it's clear that Jesus didn't allow them. And then if you, if we keep going here, we, we see that they, they take that cue, and then they, they go through these other cities, and then Paul has a vision. He has a vision that he's a man from Macedonia is asking him to, him to come to them and, and help them. And so Paul takes that, he says, as an indication the Lord wants him to go to Macedonia. It was a, so the Lord has opened the door now for him to go in a particular direction. Where was that? Macedonia. So in, a, in the region of Macedonia, he ends up, by the way things worked out, in Philippi. And then in Philippi, we see that he, is, he now goes, he's, he's in this area, and Paul typically, his model is this. He goes straight for the synagogues on the Sabbath because he's a well-known rabbi and is often given the platform to speak after the scripture reading, to expound on it. And he would take full advantage of that and try to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ from the scriptures. But in this particular case, what we have is that Paul goes to this uh, region in Philippi, and then when he's there, he goes down, he finds out, he, he, he asks around, like where probably you can tell that he's inquiring as to where this place of prayer is. Because who's he going to find at this place of prayer? He's gonna, he knows he's going to find people that are probably well prepared for the gospel. They're seeking God. Maybe they're God-fearers there. Maybe I'll run into some Jews there. Maybe I'll run into some God-fearing Gentiles there. And when he gets there, he runs into Lydia. And if you look at verse 13... It says, and on the Sabbath day, he went outside the gate to the riverside where he was supposed, where, he, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So they supposed, probably from hearsay, they probably asked around, people supposed that there's a place of prayer, and that's where they went. 
And we sat down and spoke to the women who'd come together. Now, probably what they did is as they spoke, they made small talk at first and asked them some questions, and they began to probe. And what are they probing for? What are these questions? What are they, they're trying to find where these people are at. And what, where is God at work? They're watching for where the Father is at work, so they join him in it. And in the course of this conversation, Lydia comes up. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, and who was a worshiper of God. So here's a God-fearing Gentile, most likely, Lydia. And the Lord, this is interesting too. Listen to what the next phrase says. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So they, they are, what are they observing? This, was, this is Luke writing Acts, and it's apparently because he's talking in the way that he's there with them. So he's probably along there with them at this particular time. And he notices, what does he see? The Lord is at work. He opened her heart. Why? How did he know that? Because she's, look, look at how she's responding to the questions and the things that Paul is saying. He's observing a response. The Lord has opened her heart. Just like, remember when Jesus asks Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? He asks a question. He's probing. You're the Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this has been revealed to you, not by man, but by God. Jesus understood and looked and observed and saw that the Spirit was at work. In the same way, Paul and, and Luke here writing, they're observing and watching, and there's, even in their observation, where is God at work? And they see it by the things that they can tell, by the things that are being said, by the responses, very in tune to what's going on, to where God is at work. And then when they see this, then they, then they go the next step further. Clearly, God had opened the door. He closed the door in these two other regions, and here he's opened a door for them. And so now what we have is we have this incredible case of God showing and revealing where it is he's at work by opening and closing doors, closing off certain regions, opening up certain areas, and in fact, opening up a life. And how? By the things that they were saying and how they were responding. Now, to make things clear about open and closed doors, we also have to understand what open and closed doors are not. I think that's going to be helpful. We can see here some positive expressions. We can see here some ways in which the Spirit of God is opening doors and closing doors. But I think it's also helpful for us to understand because I think it, what it's not, because it can be very confusing at times. Because I think many people see resistance sometimes. If there's resistance, that means a closed door. If it's just wide open, that means open door. But there's something that we have to think in the process of open and closed doors. I think Blackaby had some good wisdom in his book on this, in this regard when he said this. You must be careful to identify God's initiative and distinguish it from your desires. A self-centered person tends to confuse his or her personal agenda with God's will. Moreover, circumstances can't always be as a cl- a clear direction of God's leadership. Christians often talk about open and closed doors, asking God to close a door if they are not headed in the right way. While it is admirable to seek indications of God's desires, the danger in this thinking lies in assuming that God's will is always the path of least resistance. 
i.e., the open door. For example, many people tend, uh, told me God led me to leave their current job or ministry position after having been there a, a short time. Often, when I ask them to explain the process they, they went through, they tell me they sense God leading them to the first position, but after they arrived, problems and difficulties arose, and they assumed that God would not want them to remain under such difficult circumstances. So when a new door opened... They seized it as God's deliverance. He went on to say, If you're focused on self, you'll always seek to protect yourself and pursue what is most comfortable and what most builds you up. When times get hard, self immediately urges you to quit or to flee or to find another position. To the children of Israel, the Red Sea certainly appeared to be a closed door, end quote. So clearly, we have to be careful. And especially, you know what's interesting in this text, is we go down a little further, uh, Paul ends up freeing this little slave girl who has a demon and casting the demon out, but a lot of people were making money off her. She was profitable because she, could, she had these special powers. And because of this, this ticked off the slave. Her owners were very upset because now they lost of this stream of income. And then look what happens in verse 19 of chapter 16. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the prison, in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, let me ask you, open or closed door? That sounds really closed, circumstantially. Clearly, God doesn't want us here. We need to split, right? But no, it's not the case, actually. And what's amazing is look at how resigned Paul is to God's will and not his own. We've got to read the next verse here because it's pretty astounding. Verse 25, about midnight, late into the evening, probably maybe because they got some serious wounds happening, it's not too comfortable to lie down or sleep. They've been just beat, the tar has been beat out of them. Now, perhaps what would you be doing? You might be grumbling or complaining against God. You go there to serve God. You go there to preach the gospel. You go there to do this good. You go there to minister. You got this open door, and Lydia and her household are baptized. You just cast out a demon. You're doing great work for the Lord, and then you just get the tar hammered out of you. Maybe that night you're sitting at midnight grumbling and complaining against the Lord. Well, wow, Lord, well, I thought we were here. It's supposed to be a nice open door. Walked through that open door and got the tar beat out of us. But look what they're doing at midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. <laughs> they're worshiping the Lord. They're praying and singing hymns and, and praising him. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, this is no closed door. This ends up being a massive open door. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake. And what the story ends up happening is all these people are converted. And what happens is that there's a, it starts to, earthquake starts to happen. The, the shackles come off and the men are free. There's this great light. And then, and then the soldiers are terrified. They know if these people get out, they're dead. And so they plead with Paul. And, and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the guy says, because we're not going anywhere. And then he, the guy says, what must I do to be saved? He cries out. And then Paul declares the gospel to them, and he's saved. <laughs> Him and his household, and it goes on, and they're baptized, and he's great. And, and God does these wonderful things. Now, when you think about open and closed doors, would you say the door there was open or closed? Circumstantially, it seemed like the door was closed on them. But God, it's, it's not about whether it's comfortable or not. That's not the issue. Paul knew that God had placed them there because that's where they were. And God, and Paul was rejoicing in, in his being, suffering for the name of Jesus and what he, he counted it a, a rich blessing. And, then, and God uses that circumstance and that's because that's exactly where he wanted to reveal his power. He wanted to show them there in this situation his goodness and power. And that's what he did. So clearly... I think we have to understand that open and closed doors, it doesn't have to do with circumstances being good and sweet or horrible. It's not circumstantial in that sense. But a closed door can be circumstantial in this sense. Of opportunity is available to you. And in this sense, there's no opportunity whatsoever. The closed door means that it's closed off to you. There's just nothing there. And in in a situation where Paul says the Spirit led him otherwise, he closed the door to him. And then he led him to where he he wanted him to be, which is in Macedonia. And here's the most important in all of this, is that we surrender our will to God. That it's like, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And then follow the open and closed doors. And it's not based on what we desire, but based on his will. George Mueller would teach about how he sought, the, he taught about how he sought the Lord's will. And he said, I seek at the beginning, the very beginning, whenever I do this, the, the most foundational part to start with. You have to start here. And if this isn't taken care of, you usually mess things up. He said this, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter the matter over which you're praying. We've all been there, haven't we? You're praying for something and you really have a desire in it, a strong desire. And so we have a tendency to color and see everything according to the desire as opposed to what it is, God, you're doing, opening and closing doors. But once the heart, our hearts are surrendered to the Lord and to his will and to not our will, a, a door is all opened when you have a clear opportunity presented to you And a door is closed when you can't move forward and you can tell the door is closed. I want to give you a personal example of this. And I've used the second half of this before, but I haven't really the first half. When I was making, even I thought of when I was preparing this, thought of when I was making the decision to come here. But what some people don't know is the first half. I was actually, my desire after I was done Greyfriars was to go to Canada and plant a church. So Antonio and I took off and went up there, and we looked at a certain, uh, this area or region that we felt like maybe this is where God would have us do that. And as we got there, everything was, the doors were literally all closing. The relationships, the circumstances, the situation, everything just started going, it was icy, it was cold, we're both looking at one another. 
and the contacts we did have, it seemed like there was no interest. Everything, where we went, it was kind of like, you know what? It just, man, this is not right. And even in our own spirits, we sensed, I said to Antonio, do you sense what I sense? This, like, this is clearly God closing the door for us. And here's just something, this is what I wanted to do. And I don't know, Steve, I don't know if you remember this, but Steve, he, at, the, at the same time this was happening, him and I were on the phone discussing, and he's asking whether or not I would consider coming here uh, to the Linwood area, to Christ, uh, Christ Covenant at the time. And I, and I said to him, I said, well, I first of all want to go see um, this opportunity that might present itself in Canada. And it didn't. It clearly the door shut. And then and this is where I've, I've talked about before. When I, come, I came here, I personally did not want to. This is not what I wanted to do. And it's like I didn't, I, when I, the first time I was here and I left, as, I, as I've said before, I said, oh, God, I would never want to live here. It was like, it's like I was like living on an anthill. I was a small town guy and there's was, was people everywhere. I was just totally overwhelmed and I couldn't imagine it. And, and because of that, I was just conflicted. And I want to know, Lord, what, what is it you want me to do? This is what I want to do and the door seems closed. And this is what I don't want to do, and, and I keep on kind of getting this push towards this direction. And so I said to God, and I said to Antonia, okay, this is it. I will go, but it has to be 100% unanimous from the congregation of a call toward me. And I, I thought that was pretty much an impossible request. And what happened? It was 100% unanimous, and uh, if we would have had that vote two months later, it wouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> and we just really sensed it was unanimous we sensed everybody sensed this is where god had called me to and it was not it had nothing to do with my own personal desires but it was clear that door had closed where i'd thought and i'd wanted and this door had clearly opened god makes it plain he makes it clear and he shows us through open and closed doors. As long as our wills are surrendered to him and we're willing, God, wherever you would have me go, I will go. God directs us. And he does use open and closing doors. He, he, he orchestrates circumstances and events. And so it's very important to understand that. That you can watch and you can see. You can see God at work. He works through circumstances and events. And he works through your own spirit and in your own heart. And he, and he, he, he like closes the door, not just circumstantially. He closes the door in here. And you can tell. You can sense in your own spirit. Have you ever had this? You want to do it, but you know that if you did it and you went there, it would just be completely against what he wants you to do. Not that it's sin, but you just sense in your spirit that, that ugh, that's not what... It, I should be doing. There's a door closing. Even on your, the spirit is speaking to your spirit, saying no. And that's not where I want you to go. And if we've ever, if we walked with the Lord, we know we've probably went there anyways at times and realized that was a really dumb, bad move. There's another way we can see God, where God is at work and when. It's not just through open and closed circumstances, but also through what, this is another way to watch. Where is God at work? And it's revealed in the text as well by what people say and do and what people ask. Watch and observe what people are saying, what people are asking. Watch it, and you will see where God is at work. Back in this passage in, in uh, Acts 16, at which we already looked at, this particular case where Paul is speaking at, at this place of prayer, 
Like I said, they're probably guaranteed they're asking questions, they're saying some things, and they're watching and observing. And I love this, because as he pointed out, that, that the one who heard us, one who heard us was a woman. And when he says this, one who heard us, he's not just saying heard with her ears, right? There, everybody there heard the words. What he's saying is one who heard us, she heard us in a particular way. They saw her respond. They saw that something was happening. And notice by their observation what they're seeing here. Uh, Her name was Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The The Lord opened her heart. How did they know that? To pay attention to what Paul was saying. She was very interested. She was saying, okay, tell me more. Okay, and you could see she manifested to them, and they could tell the Lord had opened her heart. And they're the Lord because of the way she was responding to what Paul had said. And so he could see God at work in her. He didn't actually visibly see. He could see the manifestation. He could see the results of it. Just as Jesus said in, in John six forty four that no one will come to him unless the Father draws him. Nobody's interested in Jesus. Nobody's interested in spiritual things. Nobody wants to pursue him unless the Father has done a work in them. The Father's working where there's interest in spiritual things. So if you see somebody, if you were at the grocery store and you had a conversation and you're observant and somebody mentions something or says something or has a question or you, you find interest through the weirdest ways, You know what you should understand? God is at work in the world all around you. And you need to learn to see that, that, be sensitive to that. God is at work here. If somebody has spiritual interest in some way, at some level, God is at work. Over the years, I have had the experience of seeing several friends and family members ask me questions either about myself or my faith or, my, uh, or the situation with Antonia. And it's, as, I, as I reflected on it and looked, he said, you know, God was truly at work, and people are at different places, but it usually happened like this. Nobody else was around. It was kind of a safe place. And somehow, some way, they get on to talking about spiritual things. They ask me a question. I'm not sitting there, and I'm not thinking about, oh, here's my opportunity, and I can't wait, and I have this canned message, and think, okay, step one. Step one is ask the right question, a good question that will provoke their interest. It wasn't anything like that. It was just conversation. And I, all kinds of people, in weird ways that I can't explain, have asked questions. And right away, you need to realize, bingo, what does that tell you? At some way, in some level, God is at work. And I've had this amazing opportunity of, depending on where they're at, having conversations about God, about Christ, about um, what God has done in my life and what he is doing in my life. And, and, and sometimes the conversation goes in a, in a really great direction, and you're, at the end, you're, really, you're so thankful and grateful for where, what you're able to say. And sometimes the conversation, it just goes there for a while in a, in, in a good direction, but it kind of peters away and peters out. Here's one thing you have to understand, that in all those situations, God was at work in those people and stirring them up and a, causing them to ask questions. And sometimes the things that you say to people, people are at different places. Not everybody's a Lydia, Sometimes you plant seeds. Sometimes you water. Sometimes you just pluck out some weeds. And sometimes you reap a harvest. Wherever it is in the process, that's God's work in their life. And you can't, mis- 
you can't mistake it. Don't think this, that if God is at work and something is happening, it's going to be this amazing conversation. I'll walk them through, boom, boom, boom. They become a Christian and we get baptized. And then if that doesn't happen, oh no, God probably wasn't at work. No, God's at work. And God has, given, God has revealed to you, to this person, to you, this person who, in whom he is at work. And, and wherever that is at, you just, you, you join God in that situation and then you just, you minister as God reveals the need to you at the time. And I think that that's, it takes a ton of pressure off us to understand this. And I think it helps us to realize that people around you uh, are being worked on by God at different levels in different ways. And some people aren't completely. I know, though, for a fact that most of us would be amazed if, our eye, if we could actually see, actually see, look around and see. I had this thought the other day. I was in the, uh, the restaurant, a local restaurant here, and I was just praying and thinking, God, you know, you are at work in these people's lives around me. I just looked around. The restaurant's full. I'm thinking, you're at work here in these people's lives. And each person has a story. Each person has all kinds of things going on in their life. And it's just amazing that I don't know any of these people and to think you're at work, wouldn't it be just cool to be able to see where it is you're at work and what's going on? And You know, just thinking that and praying that really helped me to just think of these people differently. And then how cool would it be, Father, for you to just you know, reveal to, us, to me where it is you're at work? And, and I think sometimes we just we go through life and we, do, we take care of work. We take care of duties. We take care of the kids. We take care of groceries. We take care of the bills. We take care of uh, the job obligations. And we go from one thing to the next, right? Just taking care of stuff. What's next? What's next? And we walk through life almost oblivious to the fact that God is at work around you. God is at work in your home. He's at work at your children. He's at work in your spouse. He's at work you know, he's in the workplace, at the grocery store, at the restaurant. Wherever you go, whatever you do, there's, you've got to understand that God is at work at people's lives. And sometimes I think that we're so oblivious to it because we're so focused on our own thing, our own stuff all the time. We have to become much more sensitive and understand to listen to what people are saying. Listen to how people are responding. Even here this morning and in conversation, you're asking how people, somebody is doing. You see, maybe God is doing a really deep work in somebody. And they're going through a really hard time and they're asking some tough questions. Or maybe in your home, as you watch and observe your children, notice questions they're asking. Notice what's going on in their lives. And, and be aware, have the spiritual antenna up and realize God is at work. Say, Father, and be prayerfully walking through your life. When you're at the grocery store, you're at the restaurant, you're, wherever you, you're at work or wherever you go, instead of just going and always being so focused on the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, be prayerfully focused on where it is that God is at work. And be observant. Say, Father, where are you at work? Please show me where it is that you're at work in people's lives. And be just more in tune to that. And as you go around and you see, and, by, and, and, and then you ask a question perhaps, I think even that's what, probably what Paul did to start this all off, was ask a question to these group, this group of ladies who are praying. And what are you guys doing here? What's going on? What, uh, do you guys 
do you guys believe in the God of Israel? Or, like, he's probably just inquiring and, and from there starting to follow up and seeing where people are at. I'm convinced that it would make a tremendous difference in your life. In my, I know it makes a difference in my life to walk around throughout life being mindful that God is at work. He's at work in people's lives. And try, would you, would you do this this week? Could you, as well as you can, even ask God to remind you, wherever you go, say, Father, reveal to me where it is you're at work. Wherever you're going, the people whose lives that, that you're at work, and just watch and observe and listen and ask questions and inquire and just see. And I think you might be shocked and amazed to see what starts to happen a little bit. I just want to say finally that in all of this, as is always needs to be said, God might be silent with you because God is actually working on you. In all of that I've said, in all that you do, you might seem like I'm just not seeing, I'm just not noticing. It seems like nothing. I never ever get opportunities. I never see any of this, what you're talking about. Well, it could be that what God's trying to help you see first and foremost, even in your own life, is his work in you. Because, as I've said in one of my talks, relationship precedes responsibility. Sometimes we want God to do something. He's saying, hold on, wait on. I want to do something right here. Ask yourself the question, even here and now, in all sincerity, what is your relationship with God like? Where are you at? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm saying that, you say, yes, with all sincerity, I do. And why do you do that? Why do you love him? There's only one reason. Because of how he's loved me. Do you know what's very easy for us to do? Is either forget or ignore or just drift away from the love that that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Get caught up in life and forget. Forget the, the simple gospel, right? Which is understanding that, you know what? You know who I am. You know who Dean Hellickson is? Dean Hellickson, apart from Christ, you take me apart from Christ, and I am nothing but a filthy, wretched sinner. And you're like, oh, no, you're not, Dean. Yes, I am. I am no good to the bone. Apart from him, I am utterly and completely selfish. Apart from him, I, I do bad things. And you know, you know what man tends to love to do? Always make excuses for yourself. Always make yourself better than you really are. Always try to pat it. Always try to say, well, yeah, but no. What we fundamentally have to get back to see in relationship with God is who we are apart from Christ. And remember... You are no good, top to bottom. There is no one righteous, no one good, no one who seeks after God, no one. No one is good. That's got You've got to get that. Let me ask you a question. Do you understand that? How do you view yourself and see yourself apart from Christ? Pretty good guy? Pretty good person? Pretty good gal? Yeah, I do all right, you know? Better than most people out there. They're all wicked wretches out there. Seeing ourselves and understanding ourselves correctly apart from Christ is so important in a relationship with him. And second of all, understanding who God is, and in light of who he is, our predicament. If you see God as holy and just, 
and awesome and glorious and perfect and loving. And he's so glorious. And I have done nothing but, but sin against him. And you understand. You say, okay, I asked you, what do you think you deserve before God? I deserve nothing but wrath. I deserve nothing but condemnation. I deserve nothing but to be excluded from him forever. That's what I deserve. Do you realize you have to understand that and know that? Know that he doesn't owe me anything. God owes me zilcho. God has, I, you know, he has no obligation towards me. If he were to send me to hell, it would be, it would be righteous. It would be just. We forget that, don't we? We start to go along for a while, and we start to think God actually has something. that He, he, he has a requirement on us. He owes us something. And because we forget who we are, because we forget who God is, and then we forget we, Jesus is meaningless. I could t- I'd stand you, Jesus loves you. He's, he's paid the price for you. Yawn. Whatever. You know, let's sing a few songs and get going. You know, that's what happens. That's what happens to our hearts. We forget who Jesus is and what he's done for us because we forget who we are. We are outside of him. We forget who God is and what he rightly and just, we rightly and justly deserve. And then we forget the meaning of the cross. It's no longer that much, that meaningful to us. And so we fall asleep. And we don't really care all that much. Do you remember when you first came to know the Lord? What did you want to do? You wanted to tell everybody about Jesus because he's so amazing. You wanted to talk about him because of all, all he is and all he's done. And you wanted to love others and give to others because of how you've been loved and, and how much he's done for you. And what happens? We forget the gospel, the fundamentals. We drift from that and we go cold. We lose our first love. And then we wonder, why is God not really doing anything in through my life? Why is he not really using me? It's like, it's like I don't even, I don't see him at work. It's like I'm not even guided. It was like, God, if God's in the world, where is he? And it just all gets icy cold. Well, we got to shake off the ice. We got to get back. Like Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, you've got a lot of good things. Check, 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 check. But this I have against you. You've lost your first love. You need to get back to there. You need to go back and do what you did at first. And what you did at first is you looked at the gospel. You looked at yourself. You remembered who you saw, who you were. You saw who God is in his, in his, in his righteousness and holiness. You understood your predicament. And you look at Jesus and you see him and you see his glory and you see his goodness and his love for you. And as you get that and as you understand that, it overwhelmed you. It flooded your heart. And then it, because of that, you were filled with this love and then you wanted to love. You wanted to let people know. But it's always telling when you ask yourself the question, do I love Jesus? Do I love him? Do I want to make him known? Do Do I want to tell others about him? Do I want to talk about him and what he's doing in my life? If the answer is no, we desperately need to get back to the gospel and understand it. Understand what he's done for us. And as we do, 
we will begin to see God opening and closing doors, guiding and directing. We'll be able to see God at work in people's lives, and God will show it to us and reveal it to us, and we'll, he will start using us in marvelous ways that we haven't been used before. But first things first, always. And may God have mercy on all of us. Amen. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We thank you. We thank you so much for your grace toward us, for your kindness, for your love, for your patience and long-suffering. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we are partakers of Christ, and in him we have life and have life eternal. Father, help us to see, help us to see ourselves, see who we are outside of Christ and how really wretched we are and how really... Fu- Sinful we are apart from Christ. Help us to see your holiness and your goodness and your justice and love and righteousness and how we violate it. And help us, Father, please, to see Jesus and all that he is and what he's done for us that we might know his love. That our hearts would be revived and renewed and that we would see you at work all around us. Grant us eyes to see, Father, for we ask us in Christ. Amen.